Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Third and a long yard, and they're going to throw. Stafford complete. Calvin Johnson to the end zone, fumbles it, and it goes out of bounds. It'll be a touchback if he didn't break the play, and it's ruled a touchback. Michael Preston. Oh, yes, as Michael Bennett said after that, hey, the man. Just pay the man. Ooh, thank goodness for you, Camp Chancellor. I mean, unless you're a Lions fan and you're listening to this, in which case I'm sorry, but thank goodness for you, Camp Chancellor. Some dude in the bar we were watching at thought that there was a way that that could be a safety. Like, am I mistaken in thinking there is no actual way for that to be a safety? You know, oh, bro, no, that could have been a safety if it didn't go out of the back of the end zone. Oh, if it was recovered in the end zone, it could have been a touchdown by the Lions. That can't be a safety. You have to be tackled in your the end zone you're driving away from for it to be a safety. It wasn't worth getting in a fight with a tattooed guy with a long beard who was a hipster and didn't know what he was talking about. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. Uh, after a heartbreaking, bad loss uh, against Cal last week, looking ahead to Oregon coming up this weekend. We're going to talk to Ryan Thorburn. With the Eugene Register Guard coming up here uh, in just a few minutes. And then I want to get into something that uh, I, I think a lot of people, you know, you, we talk about this every year, but it's with a guy who uh, is certainly probably a first-round draft pick lock, and Miles Jack, who was uh, injured out for the year a couple of weeks ago, and he's leaving school. Um, and some folks don't think that's the best idea. His coach has said, well, I don't think there's enough game tape on him. We'll talk about that uh, a little later on. But let's talk again. Uh, about kind of, you know, final time this week, we'll talk about that game against California. And, you know, we, we look back at it, and I think, as Jeff said earlier this week, I think the the thing that is most disappointing is that the mistakes that led to the loss in that game were not necessarily new mistakes. They were mistakes we've seen this team make time and time and time again the fumbles the that that third and 36 conversion on a draw play I don't think I've been as incensed about a single play of Cougar football in a long time there very well could have been one I was more angry about in the past I'm just not remembering what it was because that made me angry that really pissed me off you give up a third and 36 on a draw play that was just inexcusable from a defense played relatively well the entire game but it was more of those fumbles 
the bad decision to have your punter go for it on fourth and one, so he's got to run 16 yards to pick up a first down. It's just those mistakes that we've seen multiple times from this football team in the past, and that is a game they should win. They were up 21-7 to at one point. And even when you're up 21-13 going into halftime, you still get the ball coming out of the half. And Tavares Martin Jr., to his credit, took the ball back, I think it was to, like, what, the 40-yard line? So it's not as if you weren't set up and in a good position to go out and score on that drive and make it a two-score game again. This team didn't seem to take advantage after a couple of turnovers. And Marcellus Pippins, by the way, deserves every bit of that uh, Cook Center Player of the Week award we gave him. That kid, I, I he is playing night and day better this year. I mean... He's got two interceptions to his credit already, and that that pick off of Goff was just you know something we did not see last year where you're basically baiting him and throwing it over there, and all of a sudden there was Marcellus Pippins. What a great play. But again, we see these, these problems, these not taking advantage of turnovers, and I think it, I, I, I don't know how much of it is on coaching. I don't know how much of it is on players. I don't like to just say it's all on one or the other, I guess. I think when you say, you know, well, it's not Mike Leach's fault that Gabe Marks fumbled the ball. Well, no, you're right, it's not, but some of that does go back to coaching and, you know, the proper way to hold the ball and how to get it away from defenders. And it could have just been unlucky. I don't remember the exact situation where that fumble happened. In. But the, the constant in those cases of, like, turnovers and, you know, it's not the coaches who miss tackles. Well, it is the coaches who teach those players how to tackle properly, so... I know it's not the coaches missing the tackles, but if the players aren't getting the message and you're either not recruiting the right players or you're not teaching them the right way. So which is it? Now I'll grant you if they are teaching them the right way and they're going out there and they're just missing the tackles, then you're not recruiting good enough players. But all the metrics we have, all the numbers we have say this team's recruiting better. Leach and his staff are out there recruiting better than they have been in the past. So what is it? What, what is contributing to these same mistakes happening over and over and over again? Is it a coaching issue? Is it just that WSU is on the bad end of the bad luck stick? Are they just on the business end of the bad luck stick? I don't, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't settle well with myself. I can't sit here and say, oh yeah, it's just a lot of bad luck. It's just a lot of bad luck that is leading to these issues for WSU. I can't explain it away just as the Cosmos are, you know, the ones responsible for this team coughing up leads or making those same mistakes over and over again. I I can't sit here and be okay with that being the explanation. Because we all know it's not. We all know it's not a matter of, oh, well, it's just luck. It's just unlucky. And I'm not saying anybody's saying that, but what I what I think is is, you know, in the so many of those things are unlucky. Those fumbles that don't go your way, and WSU fumbles are going more their way this year. And they've got as many turnovers I think through now four games they had all last year. So that's certainly improved on the defense. And the defense I think as a whole has greatly improved over last year. I think that's very clear. They're a much better defense this year than they were last year. And even if we just take you know the one the game to game analogy of what they did against Cal last year and what they did against them this year. I think they're much better. But it can't all just be luck. And I it can't all just be, well, it's the player's fault for doing this. 
And it can't just all be the coach's fault for doing this. It has to be a combination of everything. And we are in the fourth year of Mike Leach being here. And I think the expectation is that this team is better than they are. I don't think that you should... Let me put it this way. When you go in and you have a two-touchdown lead against a team, regardless of whether they're in the top 25 or not, you kind of don't expect the rest of the way to be outscored 27-7 to when things are going that well for you. You don't expect to go the rest of that game and be outscored by almost three touchdowns. A good, a good football team won't do that. I'm sorry, it was actually 33-7. to 7, Or no, uh, God, I cannot do the math on this one. 34 minus 7 is 28. 28-7. to 7. No, it is 27. It's it's a lot to... I, can't, I, I need to go... Where is Jeff to teach me math? I know he teaches English, but where is he to teach me math? I'm not going to edit that out either. This is a podcast. I could edit it out. I'm not going to because I, I keep it real here on the Gook Center Hour. We keep it real. I'm a chubby white guy from the suburbs. I can't keep anything real. It's it's disappointing to see these same mistakes over and over and over again. And I think as we've talked about it and some have touched on it, I think there is a certain amount of truth to this. If I'm talking to you this week at 3-1, and one, you feel a hell of a lot different, don't you? than two and two and even if I were talking to you at two and two with a loss to Rutgers and a loss to Cal you still feel different don't you but that's not what happened that opening game loss is still sitting fresh I think in a lot of people's minds mine included three and one at this point is completely different than two and two I can accept a loss to Cal Cal's a good football team Cal's a really good football team. Is it disappointing they didn't go in there and seal up the win? Yeah, should they have? Probably. But it's not outside the realm of possibility for a team as good as Cal to come back and thoroughly dominate you for about two and a half quarters. It's very disappointing to see that some of that was a self-inflicted wound, but it's not completely unexpected. I really do think it goes back to that loss to Portland State arguably the worst loss in program history you can't do that in any year of coaching but especially in the fourth year of another rebuild and I think that's what it goes back to for so many people myself included Mike Leach is going to have another year after this whether you want him to or not and at this point I'm not sure if I do but financially, this school cannot afford to get rid of him. I waver back and forth a lot on whether I want them to fire him. If, if money was no object on whether I would want them to do it after this season or not. And if money was no object, I would probably say yes to get rid of him. But because in this case money is an object, that's where we have the obvious difficulty of whether it can even... It's even something feasible that the school, the institution can do. Additionally, you have a vacant president's office right now, and it won't be filled until the spring, when well after the time has come to let go of a football coach. 
and I'll come back again on, I've said this before and I'll say it again here. You almost have to cut the head off the dragon before you can cut a wing off, if that analogy makes sense. You almost have to get rid of Bill Moose before you get rid of Mike Leach. You don't want to let the AD who made that decision to hire Mike Leach make a decision to hire another coach, do you? If you don't think his decision to hire a good coach was a good or to hire a coach was a good one, why would you let him do it again? And if Bill Moose sees fit to roll over Mike Leach's contract again after this season, then we're going to have a big problem. Because now Bill's just flushing money away and putting off that potential for if I need to get out from under this contract, I'm trying to save my institution money. It's not being responsible to the university that employs you to roll Mike Leach over again after this year again. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. What I'm saying is I would be very disappointed if it did. So where does this all land with me? We're a third of the way through the season and we're talking about this again already. It really lands me on the fact that they need to go down to Eugene this weekend and they need to beat the Ducks. Oregon is way down. Way, 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 way down. They are not a great football team anymore. They're a good football team, but they're a football team that WSU has the weapons to beat. They are abhorrent in the pass defense, as Ryan Thorburn's about to talk about here in a couple of minutes. They are abhorrently bad. Their front seven, full of seniors, still not much better. WSU has an opportunity to score a lot of points this weekend. And I think that might be the only way they win the football game. We've talked about this before. If your defense, all they have to do is hold the opponent to 28 points. That's all they have to do. If WSU's defense can manage to hold Oregon to 28 points, they're going to win this football game. Write that down. Put Michael Preston's seal of approval and promise on that. WSU has a big opportunity to go down and to prove me and a lot of people wrong. And I want to be wrong. I'm not just saying this to to be, you know, to get clicks or to get people to listen. This is how I feel, but I want this football team to win. I want Mike Leach to be successful the same way we all wanted Paul Wolf to be successful. We wanted Bill Doba to be successful. So what brought got brought up in that comment section. Do you think this team's going to a bowl? I don't. But I still want to watch this team. I still want to love this team. I still want to be a big fan of this team. I still want to see them go to Eugene and kick Oregon's ass and beat them for the third time since the last time UW beat them, Husky fans. I want that for this team. I want to be proven wrong. I want Mike Leach to go out there, take the reins, and you know just prove everybody wrong or everybody that doubts him wrong right now. And Brian wrote about it this week about being patient, and I totally understand that perspective. That's just not where I am right now with Mike Leach and with this team. I'm eight years into a rebuild. My patience is getting very thin. But I want to be proven wrong. I don't want my team to continue to be bad. I want them to be good. And if it takes me issuing a mea culpa, then so freaking be it. I will do it. I will do it with a smile a mile wide on my face. 
Go down, beat Oregon. I will be in all caps mode on Twitter all weekend long, and you guys can yell at me in the comments section on Kook Center all you want, and I will ha- I will drink it in happily. Go down there and beat Oregon, because right now that loss to Portland State is really looming big over this season. And you need something to kind of galvanize everybody and make them feel better, because you coughed up that game against Cal. You had a chance to get to 3-1 in the most odd way that we would have ever thought possible before the beginning of the season and you didn't now you got a chance to go to three and two again in a weird way that nobody really thought possible before the beginning of the season so go and do it ryan thorburn coming up next from the eugene register guard back here on the Goop center hour in a sec Here on the Kook Center Hour, we're now joined by Ryan Thorburn of the Eugene Register Guard. He covers the Oregon Ducks for the Eugene Register Guard. And uh, Ryan, I first want to start out with this team kind of got back up uh, on the horse a little bit, so to speak, uh, last Saturday with their win over the Buffs in Boulder. Maybe not as convincing early in the game. They did kind of pull away late. But I think for this team, for the Oregon Ducks, it was probably just important to get a W on the board after that 42-point drumming at home at the hands of Utah, wasn't it? Yeah, it's kind of amazing how far they've fallen this fast when you think about uh, how Marcus Mariota and and the Ducks of his era played against Colorado. They were, you know, beating those guys by, you know, whatever score they wanted to. So Mm -hmm. uh, to be tied 17-17 on the road, and really have to have a team effort to fight back and win it. I think it was a good sign for this team. Uh, they still have a lot of issues at quarterback and with their defense, but um, given what happened against Utah, it was actually a good win. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that, uh, those quarterback issues, those defensive issues here in a little bit, but just give me a sense of how Duck fans feel kind of after that win against Colorado when you combine it with what happened uh, at home against the Utes a couple of weeks ago. Utah now, of course, ranked in the top five. So, you know, not a bad football team by any means, but I don't think anybody expected to have them score 28 points in the third quarter and just absolutely leave the Ducks in the dust. Yeah, I think it depends how old the Duck fan you're talking to is. Uh, the younger ones are pretty spoiled that uh, don't remember the tough times and have just grown up with this Chip Kelly, Marcus Mariota era where they're just boat racing teams week after week and finishing in the top five. Uh, I'm not saying those days are over, but it's definitely a transition year for this program. So, um, you know, the older fans that have been through, you know, decades of losing um, probably won't mind if, if they just get to, a, you know, a lower bowl and kind of retool and try and find that next quarterback. But um, the ones on Twitter, the young ones, they're, they're not happy. <laughs> I assume I assume you know something about that. Uh, that uh, given given your reporting there, yeah. The, I mean, and it is tough. I mean, 
we all knew the quarterback position would be a drop off, and uh, you know, and it certainly is. Even if Vernon Adams were healthy, but uh, I guess the disappointing thing is is that the defense, um, you know, now that it's been in some games where it's not only struggled but the team is trailing. Uh, it's a whole different animal than when you're ahead 14-0 early in the first quarter. I want to talk a little bit about that quarterback situation because uh, we know Vernon Adams still hurt. Well, we'll start with him. Do we know if he's going to play this week against Washington State, or is the expectation probably that it's he won't be available? Well, the coaches are saying that you know they're going to evaluate him, and you know if he can help, if he's their best option to win, then he'll probably play. But Vernon said he doesn't really want to play until he's 100%. And I think that's the smart thing, and I'm not sure that he's going to be 100% this game. I, that doesn't mean he won't give it a go, but uh, I think if they were going to be smart about it, they would try to win without him this week and let him mm-hmm. heal up. So we'll talk, let's talk about the quarterbacks, because it, last week against, um, against Colorado, it was Jeff Lockie and Taylor Alley. Allie's a walk, former walk-on, I believe, or is he currently a walk-on? And Jeff Lockie, of course, was the guy who Vernon Adams competed with. Are we going to see more of that rotating the two of them against Washington State, or are they going to stick with Jeff Lockie and just ride him throughout the game? Well, based on, on what I've gathered from, from players, both guys have been getting uh, equal reps again in practice. So there is the possibility that they, they could rotate them again. I think if you take the walk-on, and yes, he is still a walk-on, okay. off of the label for Taylor Alley, I think based on what we saw at Colorado, that he definitely should be the starter unless Vernon Adams um, feels a lot better. I think Taylor Alley uh, does a better job in the read option. Uh, he's done a better job in a, a very small uh, sample size of taking care of the ball. Mm-hmm. He had a, a really bad... Uh, interception uh, against Colorado and some other interceptions this year. So I think it should be Taylor Alley um, if it's between the backups. Mm-hmm. We talked to, or we talked about a little bit about this offense, you know, how used everybody is to seeing it be this, you know, high fly score at will, uh, you know, can, you know, just put up points whenever they want to. And now it's kind of not that, or at least maybe to a lesser extent. They're not able to kind of score whenever they want to as much, but they still have some really good athletes on that side of the football. Royce Freeman, really good running back, and Taj Griffin might be the quickest running back I think I've ever seen in my life. This team still has weapons offensively, don't they? This team is still loaded yeah. at wide receiver and loaded at running back, and the offensive line is coming off, you know, really a vintage performance. Uh, there were some games where they didn't protect – Vernon very well, but um, you know they're also playing high-caliber teams in Michigan State and Utah, and Vernon was a little indecisive because of his fingers. So uh, if the offensive line gets the running game going, um, look out. I mean, <laughs> like if it, like I said, Taylor Alley is capable of running the read option and being very deceptive with it. So mm-hmm. I think their offense is okay, especially this stretch here, Colorado, Washington State, mm-hmm. Washington. These are games that they're going to be in. Uh, even without Vernon Adams, you would think. Um, but the key, I think, you know, to this whole game is, is Mike Leach's uh, scheme going to pick apart a secondary that is 
very young and very bad so far. Yeah. Ryan Thorburn from the Eugene Register Guard joining us here on the Kook Center Hour. We thank him for his time. Uh, very busy man covering the Oregon Ducks. And you mentioned that very young secondary, so now is kind of a good time to talk about the Oregon defense, which, you know, last year after losing Ifo Ekpreolamu didn't look great, still looked, you know, mediocre, I would say. But now they're kind of to a point with that secondary where, oh boy, you really kind of worry about anybody who's really capable at throwing the football against them, don't you? Yeah, I mean, Eastern Washington spread them out and did whatever they wanted. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Cooper Cup. They made him look like uh, Jerry Rice or, or Terrell Owens or something. He was amazing mm-hmm. against Oregon. No one could, could guard him. Uh, Georgia State had you know a couple receivers go off. Uh, Michigan State was really conservative in that game, so you could say that Oregon you know, played fairly well. Had, they got a stop at the end, gave Vernon a chance to win that game. And then Utah, you know, just exposed, you know, the whole mess that they have, which is losing three starters, uh, you know, and having to start, you know, all new guys, basically, uh, freshmen, redshirt freshmen, true sophomores. So uh, it's been tough. Uh, What helped them last week is the front seven, which has been disappointing because it's all seniors. Uh, they finally showed up and really got after a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that's hard to do against these spread teams. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if the experience of playing Eastern and playing Georgia State helps them in this situation where they're kind of used to uh, that kind of offense right now. Well, you mentioned that front seven a little bit and them, you know, kind of finally getting after a quarterback. WSU's offensive line is a strength of this team. They gave up a lot of sacks uh, against Cal, I believe up over half a dozen, which kind of was a very surprising. Is this is this kind of the defensive line, the front seven that you kind of always thought they should have uh, this year, or is this kind of a, a revelation? But you mentioned all those seniors, so this is pretty much really who they should have been from the beginning of the year, getting after the quarterback. Yeah, they still have DeForest Buckner, who is an incredible defensive lineman, and it's probably, you know, a lock first-round pick if he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. So just having him back instead of going to the NFL, we thought, okay, this defense is going to be even better. And I think we, we kind of undersold Eric Armstead's value uh, last season. Mm-hmm. He was drafted in the first round by the Niners. His reputation is five-star recruit, you know, first-round NFL talent, but he didn't have the most <coughs> you know, to go all the time hard. But mm-hmm. I think he did last year because he knew it was his NFL year. So I think it, it took him a few weeks to replace Armstead. Uh, Alex Balducci had a terrific game against Colorado. Henry Mondu, a sophomore, playing uh, Armstead's position, was commanding double teams last week against Colorado, which led to Rodney Hardrick's strip sack uh, fumble, which was, you know, a great huge play in the second half of that game so mm-hmm. they're starting to come on uh just be interesting to see if they can get any pressure on washington state i was really surprised also that cal was able to get that many sacks i'm sure whatever they were doing oregon's going to copy that a little bit yeah i think we were all a little surprised that they actually got back there I, you know it was actually very surprising given how experienced that unit is ryan thorburn uh joining us here on the cook center Hour from the eugene register guard to talk about the oregon ducks uh, and coming up this weekend, like you said, they're kind of in not a not a tougher part of their schedule. They just played Colorado. They're going to play Washington State uh, this weekend. So not you know not exactly what I would call a difficult part. Then they get Washington uh, the next week. 
where do you think that this team is, you know, that loss to Michigan State, maybe not expected, but certainly within the realm of possibility. And then also the loss to Utah, again, not as badly as I think uh, we would have expected, but also was within the realm of possibility. Is this team where a lot of people think it could have been, or is it still pretty disappointing with them sitting at three and two as they head into this weekend to play WSU? Oh, I think it's, it's very disappointing. Uh, mm-hmm. Vernon Adams uh, was terrific at Eastern Washington, and he's not Marcus Mariota, but if he didn't break his finger against his former team, uh, <laughs> ironically or yeah. tragically, however you want to view it from, from Oregon's perspective, you know, I think the offense would be terrific again. Uh, he throws the deep ball well when he's healthy. He gets the tempo going. The tempo against Eastern Washington that first half was mm-hmm. – outstanding. I mean, I think Tyler Johnson said that he doesn't even remember going that fast. He was out last year, though, uh, during Mariano's Heisman year. But I think they'd be a lot better with Vernon, and the defense would have a lot less pressure on it. But, uh, you know, the injury happened, and that just uh, shows you how valuable Marcus Mariano truly was to this team. Mm-hmm. He got them to the national championship, whereas, you know, one injury to a quarterback, and they're 3-2. and two. There's probably no, you know, I've heard a lot of people complaining about, you know, this team this year and complaining maybe a little about Mark Helfrick. I'm not as familiar with, uh, you know, his situation in terms of his uh, status or his security of employment. There's no real rumblings down there about him being the issue with the football team, is there? Or is there maybe some thought from some folks that, you know, it's very, very premature, but that he might just be in a little bit over his head with this? Well, no, I think that's, the fan base says that kind of stuff, but I don't think that's the case. I think um, there are some issues that Mark Helfrich and his staff need to address in the next year or two, and mm-hmm. I think they'll, they're going to get this season for sure and next season. You would think, I mean, they just played for the national championship, but Don Pelham uh, replaced a legendary guy in Nick Aliotti, a defensive coordinator, so, um, you know, Don needs to show that, that he can, uh, you know, get this defense playing at a much higher level and, uh, uh, you know, especially considering they're going to be replacing the, the front seven next year. And I think Mark Helfrich and, and, to a lesser degree, Scott Frost need to show that they can develop the next great quarterback because they've had a lot of recruits that have either transferred impatiently behind Marietta or mm-hmm. uh, they have one redshirt freshman right now, Morgan Mahalik. I mean, this should be his time right now, and he's just not developed. So. Yeah. Uh, they definitely need to, to find a quarterback and, and show some improvement on defense over the next year or two, or they will be in trouble. We'll let Ryan Thorburn from the Eugene Register guard off the hook with one more question. Ryan, how do you see it going this weekend? I think, uh, you know, some WSU fans think the Irons, you know, hot to strike here with a Oregon team that's kind of reeling a little bit, even with that win against the Buffs. I don't quite think WSU has the weapons to compete with Oregon, but uh, they certainly played a close game in Pullman last year. Uh, how do you see it going this weekend at Autzen? I see it going like last year. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think Washington State has a great chance to win this game. Uh, I, I'm a little befuddled, like we mentioned, with the sacks. I mean, if Oregon yeah. can get pressure on their quarterback, then you know I definitely see Oregon holding off. But if it's more of the defensive performance that they had early in the season against spread teams, you know Washington State could win handily. So. I see it being either like last year's matchup or maybe Washington State's game last week where, you know, Washington State's in it, and if they don't make mistakes, they'll win it. Ryan Thorburn from the Eugene Register Guard joining us. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it.
Back here on the Kook Center Hour from the Greenwood Studios of the Kook Center Hour in lovely, drizzly, gray Seattle, Washington. It always is that way in October, isn't it? Uh, let's talk about something I think, uh, if you've spent any time around me on Twitter or even on this show, you know my personal opinion and my general my general uh, leaning in terms of who do I favor in decisions like the one uh, Miles Jack made earlier this week to withdraw from school and focus full-time on rehabbing for the NFL draft. I'm usually going to side with the player. College football, as it's set up, is not fair to the guys who are out there making money for their institutions. And, you know, I, I don't know what the perfect solution to the problem we face in college football right now in terms of these guys uh, just getting scholarships is, or, you know, I, I don't have a perfect solution. I've suggested things before, um, but obviously we need to work towards something fair and equitable in that standpoint. But Miles Jack is just a prototypical, you know, that guy is going to get drafted to the NFL. That guy is going to be playing on Sundays. I mean, he's probably projected second round pick at the latest. I mean, he's just a freak, freakishly good athlete. I mean, let's take a, let's take a look at his bio here. Even though it doesn't say on ESPN, which is what I'm looking at right now. But the dude is, the dude's huge, right? And I mean, he's just this uh, incredible, <laughs> rushed for seven touchdowns last year and 178 tackles, 15 tackles for a loss. I, the guy could play running back if he wanted to. He's not going to play two ways in the NFL, but he announced earlier this week he was leaving for the NFL because of that season-ending injury. He has an insurance policy taken out, and he would be eligible after this year uh, to go into the draft. So this is what his coach, Jim Mora, who, by the way, makes many, many millions of dollars every year and can get endorsement deals, says about that. Quote, my personal opinion is he's a tremendous football player and a tremendous athlete. I think it's risky to do this. Having been on that side, there's going to be a lot of speculation as to what he is and where he fits. And as I told Miles on Sunday, NFL teams are very, very conservative. And if there's any question whatsoever, they'll pass on you in a heartbeat. They're going to take the sure thing. And I explained that to him, but I feel like they already made their decision. And so, like I said, I hope it works out best for him. But I, as a guy who spent half my life in the NFL... I would move with great caution. I would tell that to all of our players. So Miles Jack is six foot one, four hundred two hundred and forty five pounds. I'm sorry, that said that later in the article here that I'm reading uh, from Kevin Gamel on ESPN. I Jim Mora very well could have Miles Jack's best interests at heart. I, I I mean, he legitimately could. I guess I'm just cynical to that in this situation where Miles Jack is just a he's a ridiculous football player. Any, anybody who has seen him on the field knows that he is just an insane football player. And athletically, if you're an NFL team, a, a guy who's that freakishly athletic, you, you just want him on the field. You know, you, you think of uh, things like what Pete Carroll and John Schneider do, and they just take the athlete. They just take athletes, Bruce Irvin, who's just a fast, fast guy. He's going to get back to the quarterback. Miles Jack's going to fit in somewhere at six foot one, 245 pounds. Being as fast as he is, being as hard as he is to block, being everything with him. He's going to fit in somewhere. 
Mora continued. If he played all year, I was thinking that we would not uh, in block, not have him next year. But when you only play three games and that's all the tape they have of your junior year, I've been in 25 drafts rooms and I've never seen a guy taken off of that ever. I worry about that for him. Like I said, I have a very personal relationship with Miles and his family. Very close. He'll get himself in great shape and get ready for and get ready and get rehabbed, perform well at the combine and perform well at his individual workouts. Just a matter of it. The scouts have enough film of him to go off and they may, they may not. That's their decision, not mine. Here's the problem with that. It's just a matter of if the scouts have enough game film to go off of and they may, they may not. He's been playing for now two plus years. He played his freshman year. He played his sophomore year. He played two games his junior year. That's plenty of tape. That's plenty of it. You know what you're getting in Miles Jack. Will he need an additional year of seasoning, perhaps, if you draft him without that body of work from his junior year? Maybe. But Earl Thomas came out of Texas as a redshirt sophomore and was taken in the first round by the Seattle Seahawks. Did he have some growing pains his first year in the NFL? Sure. Is he the best safety in the NFL now? Probably. I'm not saying Miles Jack's going to be the best linebacker in the NFL by any stretch of the imagination. He could very well, you know, fall off the face of the earth and never do anything in the NFL. But the notion that you need this game tape, these coaches need this game tape to look at him is is absurd. You, I, I, I don't need to know. They don't need that extra game tape on him. His athleticism, his ability to tackle, his ability to do everything NFL teams want to know how he can do is already very apparent. Excuse me. I had a big salad for lunch. Apparently the world was supposed to end today according to some group room, and I wasted it on a salad. I wasted my last meal on a salad. (laughs) They don't need that. They can make an evaluation without that game tape. They can evaluate whether Miles Jack is going to be a good NFL linebacker or not. And it all comes also down to this. I have no doubt that the what Jim Mora is thinking in his head is, I am trying to be helpful to Miles Jack. I want what is best for him, which I'm sure is the case. It just so happens that flies in the face of Miles Jack going out and making his money. Like I said earlier, we can get into a discussion about how fair, unfair scholarships are, about whether players or student athletes should be compensated in any way for their likeness, etc., etc., etc. That is a conversation for another day. But there is no doubt the one way these guys make money right now in this system is playing professionally. And the sooner you can do that, especially in a sport like football that is so violent, that is so hard to play, that is so hard to stay at that level for an extended period of time, you need to go make your money now. Because what happens next year if Miles Jack has another catastrophic injury? Well, then nobody's interested. Now he hasn't played the game of football for two years. You need to go make your money right now. And I hate 
the perspective people have on these student athletes who do that. Well, you're going to make millions. That's plenty. That's plenty. Coaches make many millions. Schools make many millions of dollars. Why is it these guys are the only ones who get vilified for going and making their money? Why? It's still his family. He has every right to go and take care of them and make as much money as possible to do so. That's my goal in life. I want to make as much money as possible to take care of my family. I chose a really crappy profession to do that with. But I want to make sure my family's comfortable. Maybe Miles wants to make sure his mother, his brother, are comfortable. His future children, his future wife perhaps, whomever. He wants to make sure they're comfortable. He is looking out for number one which is the most important thing you can do when it comes to playing football. You have no idea how long your career is going to be. You have no idea how much money you're going to be able to make after that initial contract is signed. You just don't know. Get out there and get your money right now. I admit, I when D'Angelo Castro left school, I was still in school or very young out of school. I thought it was a little selfish. I thought it was stupid. But he needed to make money. He had a child to take care of. And the school wasn't really going to help him out with that. Miles Jack needs to go make his money and make it right now. He doesn't know how long he's going to be able to do that for. And again, I'm sure Jim Moore's intentions are, are, are pure. He just wants to look out for Miles. And I understand that. But it comes off as a coach looking out for his football team a football team where these players are not paid, where they're paid in a thing like a scholarship, which has, you know, not a, it has a value that the school attaches to it. It doesn't have this, I, I can't point to it and say it has this exact value other than what it costs for four years for a kid to normally get it. That's what Jim Moore is looking out for. He's looking out for his team. In that case, he's not looking out for Miles. He's looking out for his football team. And again, I totally get that. He's concerned about the quality of the UCLA football program. That's his job to be concerned about it. But that's how it comes off. That you're trying to prevent this kid from making the money he deserves at this point. For being good at something that in this country we value enough to pay you that much for. Go make that money, son. Go get it. He's going to be drafted really high. I would not be disappointed if the Seahawks took him. Or if the Seahawks tanked next year and just took Leonard Fournette, that I would also be okay with that. Very okay with it. Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything Time coming up next here on the Cook Center Hour.
Our Dunderhead of the Week time. Uh, and uh, this week... Boy, made it easy. A guy named Mike Bell is a uh, radio host in Atlanta on 92.9 The Game. Sports talk show. And uh, during the Astros-Yankees wildcard game on ESPN, Jessica Mendoza who's a two-time Olympic medalist uh, in softball for, um, or two-time, I know she's at least won one Olympic medal for the United States in softball, uh, was doing color analyzing for ESPN, and I thought, I only listened to some of the game, uh, I thought she did a good job. Sounded knowledgeable, uh, had pleasant tone, you know, the, that kind of thing I'm focusing on when you get the broadcast production brain, she had a pleasant, pleasing tone, very, you know, e- even keeled, and I, I thought sounded very good. I thought... Really great, had good insight. You're gonna get pushback on her being on the air because baseball is a very traditional sport, and you know it's hard to convince traditionalists that a woman in the booth is a good idea. But ESPN's doing a great job, kind of being ahead of the curve on this. They're female referees in the NBA now too, and all very good things to have women in those positions. But when you call a woman, yes, tell us, quote, and I'm not going to repeat the name because I do try to keep the FCC decency standards on here. The word that Ron Burgundy used for Veronica Corningstone in Anchorman, yes, tell us that name. When you're up there hitting the softball, you see a lot of 95 mile an hour cutters. A, I would point out that actually hitting a softball is a pretty difficult thing to do. It's coming at you at 70, 75 miles an hour from 40 feet away. B, oh, Mm-mm-mm. ooh, the misogynist in that is strong. And I need to point something out. I think the reason why a lot of women don't listen to sports talk radio, it's not because they're not interested in sports or not because they're good sports fans, as so many people, men, imply. My wife's a wonderful sports fan. She screams a lot more than I do. That makes her better. I don't know if that. This is why. Because you get attitudes like that from men on the radio. Because sports radio stations run contests about how good-looking a woman is in a bikini. It's because you've made it as unwelcoming to women as possible. Women who are a big segment of the sports money-spending economy. A big part of it. And that kind of attitude. You tweet something like that. I mean, come on, man. He got suspended today for two weeks, and he deserves to be fired. I'm sorry. It's just, I, I, I rarely advocate for someone in my business to be fired. I know how hard it is to work in this business, but you got that kind of attitude. It's not good for anybody to be around. Whether you're on the air, or just anybody in the office, because it's just that's just a toxic attitude, and I can't stand people who have it. And if it's going to be that pervasive in sports talk radio, you're going to keep giving people that bad impression about sports talk radio. There are some really thoughtful hosts out there. But you hear about you don't hear about that. You hear about crap like this, and that's what's so disappointing. So Mike Bell, Thunderhead of the Week, you made it really easy, pal. Okay, she may not be a man, but I damn well know she knows how to hit a softball or a baseball a lot better than you do. Ask Michael anything, time. Always my favorite segment of every week. It's time for Ask Michael Anything. 
from at not underscore Kenna Matthew K. Best pre-coup game meal knowing that they are going to turn your stomach upside down with their play. I mean, you're probably going to want to avoid anything that's going to like make your tummy upset, right? So, but my personal favorite meal, um, probably from my my senior year, uh, my roommate uh, had had a, a brother of his had gone elk hunting and had a whole lot of extra elk meat he couldn't fit in his freezer. So he gave us a bunch and we put it in the freezer, but it was going to get, uh, uh, was it, you know, frost burn, uh, freeze burn on it. So we ended up cooking um, seven pounds of elk meat before a late game <laughs> on a Saturday once. And uh, that was pretty good. I mean, that was, I, mean I, I had a lot of beer throughout the cooking of the elk meat, but that was pretty good. Uh, otherwise, normally I'd just go with um, probably some McDonald's. No, I'm kidding. Chicken wings. That's my favorite thing to always eat pregame. Sellers or Cougar Country, favorite hotel in Pullman, and favorite UO joke. That from at Cougs with four Zs. Pullman is paradise. Uh, Cougar Country, I can't stand Sellers. Favorite hotel in Pullman. Uh, I haven't stayed at a lot of them. I would say the Holiday Inn Express because I got free cookies. And uh, my favorite U of O joke. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't I, Probably anything involving uh, Taiwan Porter. That dude, I just... The, the short jokes around Taiwan Porter when he was there were... Too many to pass up when I was in school. At West Coast Bias 11, Nate Kelly, you can eliminate one band or artist from history. Their songs never happened. Who do you pick? Wow. That's a lot of power, isn't it? I could go with, like, the obvious answer of Justin Bieber or Rebecca Black, who did the Friday Abomination or whatever it is. Man, this is, uh... That's that's a real tough question. I would probably, probably, you know what? I, I will go with a semi-obvious answer. I'll go with Taylor Swift. I just can't stand the music. She wrote the same song 92 times when she was a country artist, won a bunch of awards for it somehow. Now she's doing pop, and I equally can't stand it. I And I just heard personally... She dates a lot of guys and somehow has the, you know, the, oh, she's so homely and so nice persona. And I just, I don't get it. Whatever. Oregon 42, Washington State 35. Just can't see him getting it done this weekend, guys. Hope I'm wrong. We'll see you next week here on the Cook Center Hour. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.